Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. That meant so much to us, to me and Zoe. I'm not going to really go into the details of it, except to say, I think, I think as I look back over the last couple of weeks, um, they've been really tough. We've had a, a, I would describe it in some ways as a sort of full-on attack that we've really felt. It's just been a really difficult time, and, um, and there's some things that you don't want to, you can't share with everybody, and... Uh, wouldn't be right to, except to say that we value your prayers and, um, what, and, and to have our church family stand with us and pray for us and just tell, tell, you that, you know, tell us that we're loved and that we're part of something uh, bigger. All those things make such a huge difference. And you know, I say that because I don't want to put myself up here or you know, Zoe wouldn't want us to put her, ourselves up here as this, you know, we're this amazing couple who've got it all together and everything's sort of perfect all the time. We, we, we struggle. We fight, and, um, but we keep on fighting. And um, we keep on fighting in the strength that the Lord provides and we, f- we keep on fighting together with other people and we keep on um, encouraging one another, praying for one another. Um, so yeah, thank you so much because 10 years has been uh, in really, really brilliant. So much of it. And then there's other times when it's like, wow, that was a, that was a tough day, that was a tough week. Um, but over the course of 10 years, there's so many blessings. I'm so grateful that the Lord called us as a couple and then us as a family to join the family here and to see the family grow. That's what family should do, isn't it? You want the family to grow. You want more people to be part of it and you know, look around the room and just see so many people that we don't just know, but we love. There's people here that we've journeyed with and you've journeyed with us and we're so grateful for you that you're part of this with us. So that's what we mean, I suppose, around here when we talk about the idea of membership. You can think of membership as being, um, you know, I get to join some kind of club and then I get to vote and I've paid my dues and I get my say and all of that. But the Bible never really thinks of membership as being like that. The Bible would talk about membership as being something, you know, it literally coined the phrase, the Bible coined the phrase being a member when the Apostle Paul talks about being a member, being a part of a body, the body of Christ, and each part plays its part and everything works the way it should when everybody is joined into that. So today we have an opportunity for you if you want it to do this and if you're ready to do this, and part of what I'm going to be doing today is explaining something of the the kind of high bar that we set, and actually if anything we're going to continue to set an even higher bar in in the months and years ahead to be a member here at Ivy, to to consider and pray about whether or not you could actually make that commitment to join with us and to be part of this. And I would say that if you're brand new here and you're just checking this out and it's like the first few times you come, this, that part really isn't for you. You need to get to know us. You need to get, we need to get to know you. We need to do a bit of life together so that then we can commit to doing some more life together. Do you get that? So if you've been coming around for a while now and you're starting to find a place and find some people to be with and, and if you've crossed the line of faith yourself, if you, you know, basically we want to make sure you've given your life to Jesus first and then together with us we give our lives to, all together for him. 
And um, there's a, a table at the back, just uh, to this side of the sound desk at the end. Sarah's there and other people are there. And if you want to, at the end, during the, 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 what we are going to call the blessed time of donuts, during that time, if you want to, you can go to the table, look at the form, prayerfully consider, do I believe this stuff? Is this something I want to be a part of? Will I commit to it? And then you need to get it countersigned by somebody who knows you, somebody like a grow group leader or a team leader, or, and also to get it signed by a site leader or one of the elders. And if you're not sure who they are, just ask at the table. But you want to make sure it's somebody who knows you because this is about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served, and us doing those things together for the kingdom. So before you join anything though, you might want to say, well, what is it about? What's the aim? What's our aim for what we're doing here at Ivy? And we've been starting to really try and define that more and more because we've had this idea that we're here to help people find their way back to God and that's not going away, but it's in some ways pretty vague and hard to be able to define what that means. And then a lot of my thinking and a lot of our thinking has been shaped by that very famous parable that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 15. And in that parable in Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about wanting to reflect the Father's heart for, by us moving some people who are lost and alone to being found and at home. So like I said, you're welcome today if you're new here and you know, you're just sort of checking out, maybe you just come to the city as a student and you know, if you're brand new to all this, you don't understand what I would even mean when I'm talking about Jesus and the Bible and all those kind of things, then please come along to one of our Alpha courses. And again, pretty much same table right next to it. You can sign up for a course that will help you to discover what it is that we as Christians believe and then maybe you you can decide whether or not you are ready to be able to believe those things too. You know, don't try and just figure all this out yourself. We want to help other people and, and to have these kind of discussions with people too. But in that story, that very famous story of the prodigal sons, it is sons that Jesus spoke about in Luke chapter 15, there's really two types of lost people. The first type of people, there are some people who are lost in the world. You don't have to go far even on a weekend in Manchester to see some people who are lost in the world. Just stay out a little bit. Just, just hang around during Freshers Week or whatever and you start to see an awful lot of people who are obviously lost in the world but then there's some people perhaps who are less obvious but they're still just as lost. And what Jesus wanted people to know who were kind of getting lost in the world is what kind of father they have waiting for them back at home and that God is not a, a judge waiting to... to you know, bang the hammer down and judge people. But God is not a traffic warden waiting to catch you when you've done something wrong and make you pay a penalty. God is not um, a, a prison warden just waiting to lock you up. That's not our God. Jesus came to tell the story so that we'd know that if you ever get lost, there's a home, there's a father and he's waiting for you and he's waiting to love you. And when you get home, there's a, there's a party already in place or everything's already. If you decide today to give your life back to God, if you, if you come to him, there's a party that's already got your name all over it. There's a cake with your name on it and all the angels have made it. Like an angel cake. And it's ready for you to be able to, to, to come and be part of that celebration. But not just that. Not only to be celebrated and have a party. See, sometimes what we've done, we've done with that and we've stopped it there. We've had people say, oh yeah, I want to become a Christian. We'll have a big celebration. And then we just stopped. But actually, if you know the story, you'll see that when the son comes home, he doesn't just get a party. He gets three things. He gets a ring and a robe and some sandals. And this, that's three things. A ring is a sign that this person is a son. He gets authority. He gets to be able to, to decide some things now. On behalf of the Father, he's given some authority. And he gets a robe. And that's the sign of sonship. It says, I belong here in the house. 
Even though before he'd, he'd ruined everything and messed it all up and he still smells of pigs, he gets this robe put on him. And then finally he gets some sandals. What does that mean? It means he's going to go places. Now, it means there's a purpose that the father has got for him. It isn't just to stay in the house, it's to go out and do things for the father. So that's what God wants for you. He wants to celebrate if you, today if you want to give your life to Jesus. But he also wants to give you a ring and a robe and some sandals. He wants you to know who he is and he wants you to know who you are now and the things that you get to do for him. That's what it means to go from being lost and alone to being found and at home if you were lost in the world. But if you remember the story, you remember there was another guy too. There's another son, the older son, and he was lost too. He was lost in the house. When I was a police officer, one of the things that they did, if they sent you to what they call a missing from home report, first thing, it was there on the form, I think, to remind you, the first thing you'd have to tick a box that said, I've searched the house. Because it could be that this child had fallen asleep under a bed or gone into a cupboard somewhere playing hide and seek or whatever. And you, you would search the house to make sure that, there was, that this missing one was not lost in the house. And when you read the story of the prodigal son, you see that the oldest son is lost in the house. And that's even worse because he doesn't even know he's lost. He actually thinks he's found. And he, start, he, but he doesn't really know what kind of dad he's got. Because he says to him, all these years, I've been slaving for you. And you never even gave me like a skinny goat to be able to have a party with my friends. He's totally missing out on the kind of house he lives in and the kind of father that he's got. He's lost in the house. And if that's you today, it's possible, you know, you could have been in church for 20 years and still be lost in the house. You could have been coming along and signed up to 15 rotors, but you never really found your place. You don't actually know that you belong here. You just come. You just come here but you're not here. The father says to him, this is what you need to know, son. He says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. You're always with me. Everything I've got, it all belongs to you. That's a secure place in the house to know that. And, and our desire is that everybody who comes to Ivy won't just come to Ivy, but that every person here will know what kind of father they have in, in heaven and that everything that he's got, he's longing to give to you. And you're always with him. You're not just with him for an hour on a Sunday. You're with him all the time and he's with you all the time and he delights in that. So we're praying and dreaming about how to help more and more people discover that. I'm excited to say that this week, as a result of incredible work by a brilliant group of people who are continuing to work on this, really good news with regard to our plans to do something in Cheadle Hume, for us to actually buy the Lady Bridge um, Sports and Social Club. What's, that? What's the church doing doing that? We're buying a, a cricket club. We're buying a cricket and lacrosse club. What the heck are we doing? We're doing it because we want to reach people in that community and we want to say to them we're interested in the things that you're interested in God loves sport too and, and community and we want to get right into the heart of that and to just to, to help to stop that from, from folding and to help it to, to keep going and not just keep going but to keep growing and we're going to connect with them and we're going to reach out to them in all kinds of different ways. A local councillor this week at the planning meeting said this is exactly the kind of thing, this is the kind of partnership that provides a model for how churches and communities can work together for the good of a town or a city. How good is that? <laughs> 125 years ago, in 1893, this year, 180, you know, it's a 10 year celebration, whoop. 125 years ago, 1893, Oliver Brockbank founded Ivy Cottage Mission Hall. That's how it got started out. 
125 years, 1893. 1893, just so happens, Cheadle Hume Lacrosse Club was founded. And we just signed, I'm just about to sign, a 125-year lease on Cheadle Hume Cricket Club and Lacrosse Club. That's a God thing. It's just like God saying, I'm with you in this. Imagine how many people have been connected for good and to God through the years that Ivy Cottage has been in the last 125 years through that ministry. And now we're just about to go into it and do it in somewhere else too, in a way that will also, a place that will also be, be ours. Not just that we hire, but is ours. How amazing. I just want to give God one more big clap for that. And I, want to, I can't do it, so. And we're going to keep on trying different things. We're going to keep on trying different ways to reach different people in different places to help more and more people who are lost and alone to find their way back home to God. How many hundreds of people, how many thousands of people could we do that in obedience to what Jesus called the Great Commission? Because actually we don't get to decide anymore what our aim is as Jesus' followers. Because there was a time when Jesus gathered together 11 of his followers up on top of a mountain and Jesus gave them this charge. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore you go and make disciples, say make disciples, say it again. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. See, what's the church's aim been over the years? If that's what the aim is meant to be, I don't think we've been hitting the mark. Because what the church has done instead, we've had an aim of trying to get some people to come to church. We, we focused on, let's try and get some people, let's put church good enough, so we, next slide please, so that we can, we can get some people to come to church. So wouldn't that be great? And, and if, you know, maybe if our church is better than other churches, some people will come. Sometimes that's how people have done it. But that's not what Jesus said to do. He didn't say go and get some people to come to church. He could say, well, it's not just that. Obviously, we want them to become Christians. We want them to, to cross the line of faith themselves, make a decision to follow Jesus. And Jesus wants us to do that, but that's not the aim. That isn't what he said, because he didn't say go and make converts. What did he say? Go and make disciples. So again, that's not the aim. Well, you want to say, well, we want to baptize people. What's that? Basically, baptism is a public declaration. It's a stand. It's me saying I belong to Jesus publicly. We've made it into a baby in a frock and a party at the pub afterwards. But baptism in those days was this radical sign. I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm dead to the old life. I know I'm living a new one. But again, that's not all Jesus said to do. The next line up is about Learning about Jesus, studying the Bible, you know, becoming somebody who understands why they believe, going on an alpha course, all those things, they're all amazing, but they're not it. They're not what Jesus said. We stopped too short. This is why we're not getting the results that Jesus expects us or wants us to get. We've stopped short just by teaching some things about Jesus. And of course, you're going to go even further than that and say, well, disciple, learner, methetes, that's basically the word. It means learner. A disciple is a learner. So we're going to say, yeah, we want to make disciples. Some churches do that. Or some churches stop and don't even do any of this. And then they wonder why nobody's coming. But even there, Jesus didn't stop at saying, be a disciple. He said to the disciples, you go and make disciples of all nations. That is what Jesus expected. He wanted everybody to go somewhere and reach someone and help them find him too. Every believer, now there's only 11 at that time, it says it, there's only a, only a team. 
One team that he picked. And it says out of them, some worshipped him and some doubted. You could literally translate that as some bowed down and some held back. So, wow, these aren't even like a particularly good 11 that he's picking. You know, talk about raw material. What would you do if you were Jesus at this point? Remember when this is, he's just about to go to heaven. He's going to leave some people with the charge to go and change the world. You've shown them everything that you know to show them. You've shown them all the miracles that you can do. You've poured your life into them for three years. You've heard them bickering and falling out. You've tried to get them back together. You've even, you've gone to the cross. You've poured out your life for them. You've come back from the, the grave, having given your life to them. Then you've spent another month mentoring them again and helping them to understand how it all fits together. And then out of that, you get 11 of them. You've not got this big crowd that used to come and eat all the fish sandwiches. You've got 11. And you're looking at them and like some of them are, oh, I'm not really sure. What would you do? I'd pack in. I'd go and get some other people. I'd go and get some good ones. You know, I'd be like, we need to find some better people to be able to go and do this than these. And the reason that the church is so often fallen short and is in decline and isn't reaching people and doing the kind of things that God wants it to do, I think so often, is that even the churches that are doing evangelism, so often all they're doing is getting people to sign off on some sort of plan that says, I'll get my past forgiven for free, yeah, that's good, and then I get heaven as well, yeah, I'll do that. And then we try to make church something you can come to if you're not dead busy and you haven't got other things to do and if you know, you're not going seeing granny and well, then it'd be great if you come and we'll look after your kids and we've got a good coffee. And that's so low a bar compared with what Jesus said. See, in 1986, I was lost in the world and Zoe gave me a Bible. I've still got the Bible. And she wrote in the Bible some directions to get me home. Mark 8 verse 34 is my life verse. It says that Jesus called the crowd to him together with his disciples because he makes a distinction between the two. And he said, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. See, we, we sometimes want to draw a crowd. Jesus wants to gather people who carry a cross, who will actually become disciples, who will deny themselves. So which one are you? Are you a, a crowd member or a cross carrier today? Which one are you going to be? See, we don't just want to draw a crowd. It's brilliant to have lots of people here today, but the church can sometimes is aimed at drawing a crowd and Jesus is aimed at gathering disciples and then sending those disciples out. And to be a disciple means I carry a cross. And what does that mean? It means I die. I die, die, die to me, 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 so I can live, live, live for him, for him, for him. It's like Paul talked about in Galatians 2.20 and he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me and the life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what we're talking about. That's the standard. That's actually the radical minimal standard for being a disciple of Jesus. And whatever great things I'm grateful for, and I am so many things for the last 10 years here at Ivy. Our aim for everybody in the next 10 years, everybody who connects with our church is that we will encourage them and help them and challenge them to become a disciple who makes disciples. That is our radical minimal standard. No more going to church. This is it. We're about the Jesus mission and it involves two things. Number one, baptizing them is a public declaration as I've said. It's actually standing up and saying, I've met Jesus, I've, I've died to me, I'm going to live fully for him. Whatever he says, wherever he sends me, I'll go. 
Whatever he wants me to do, I'll do. I'll share him with other people. I'll share my story of how I came to meet with him. And we're going to help you be able to do that. We want to teach people how to do that well. And we're going to help you to to be able to share the story, the good news of Jesus, in a natural way that isn't going to put people off or freak them out. We want everybody to be able to share this good news, not just a few gifted people. And the second part of this is personal transformation. This is obeying everything that he says. Not just obeying the bits that suit me or the bits that I want to. He says he wants us to obey everything and get changed in that way. Dallas Willard, a great writer, said this is discipleship as a way of life. How one becomes the kind of person who will, out of inner transformation of mind, will, body, soul and social relationships, do what he said. Teaching obedience, not just knowledge, Not just things I know about God, but teaching obedience. Not just following a curriculum or going on a course or signing off on some things that I mentally assent to. This is doing the stuff. Doing what? Everything he commanded. What does that involve? Sharing the gospel. Praying for the sick. Casting out demons. Miracles. Raising the dead. Who's up for any of that? Quite a few. How do we do it? Number one, through preaching. I believe in the power of the word of God. It transformed my life. It can still transform anybody's life. So we're not holding back on on preaching the gospel of Christ in ways that people can receive it and understand it. But not just on big platforms. We want to encourage people to get into smaller groups too because life change really happens in circles, not when you sit in rows. So we want people to get involved in grow groups, in smaller groups, in serving groups, in teams, so that we get to work together, get to know one another better. That's why we encourage grow groups so much. And I include things like Alpha and Marriage Course and Youth and all of that. But our grow groups are not just pastoral care groups for a few people who need that. They're a sleeping giant for discipleship, for training, for people to be able to to learn and to grow and to do the final thing, which is to learn to lead. We want to raise up more and more leaders in this church. We're already doing it incredibly well, I think. But in the next 10 years, we're going to see even more people, more of you, really stepping up into the leadership influence that God has got for you. And we want to develop people in all those different ways. And we have to do these things. We have to do these things when you see the need. When you see so many people who don't know their father. They don't know who their dad is. They don't know who God is and how connecting to him changes everything. And, And that's why so many churches have been in subtraction. You know, I want to give you the bad news about some of that. Um, the Humanist Society just delighted in putting on their Twitter feed some details from the latest British Social Attitude Survey. And, you know, just about decline of the church in general. And that, the one that made the biggest headline was that 50% decline in 20 years of people who say that they're part of the Church of England. What's the answer to that? Well, we tend to think we just need to add a few more. But Jesus didn't say that. That's not what it's about at all. We've tended to think if we just move into addition, but the fact is so many people aren't interested in just coming to church any more that you're interested in turning up at a Buddhist temple next week. So we've not got to be a church they can come to. We've got to be a church that goes to them and reaches out to them. See, even if we fill this place every Sunday by having the coolest Christian stuff that you could ever have on in here, it won't make a a dent on the thousands of people, the millions of people, here in this city and beyond who don't know Jesus Christ. It's great to be here in academy and to see some new students joining us in these recent weeks, but there are 99,000 students in Manchester. There are now 2.8 million people 
in Greater Manchester. It's the second most populous city in the UK. How many of those people does God love? All of them. How many of those students? 20% of them are international students. They're coming from other nations to us. How many of them does God love? All of them. Do we? How are we going to reach them? How are we going to reach them with his love? Not just by adding a few more services, even though we're going to do that. Not just by planting more churches, even though we're going to do that. We're only going to move people from lost and alone to find them at home if, if we get everybody as a disciple making disciples. If we move from addition to multiplication, from adding church goers to making disciples, from making converts to multiplying disciples, from adding leaders to growing leaders and multiplying leaders, from doing church to planting churches and multiplying churches, from going to church to church going to the world in the name of Jesus Christ. And somebody should get excited about that because I am. See, God's first command to humanity was go into all the earth and, and multiply on it. There's something called Moore's Law. I don't know if you've heard of this. There's a projection by a guy who was in charge of Intel back in 1965. He said that the rate of technology doubles every two years. So in 1975, they, they revised it because they could see that actually this was taking off even more. So you've got the wheel, you've got the printing press, then you've got stuff going on in our, you know, in our century. In the previous century, in this one, Aeroplanes, the internet, mobile phones, driverless cars. Where are we heading? Artificial intelligence. Technology is, is exp exponentially multiplying. What about world population? When Jesus spoke to those 11, the population of the world right then was only a couple of hundred million. I'm sure that freaked them out, but now we have billions. How can we possibly reach the billions of people who need to know about the love of God and Jesus Christ? Isn't it just too late? See, it took actually until 1804 for the population of the world to reach one billion. In my lifetime, it tripled over four billion more. What will this graph look like? Where's it going in my, in my children and grandchildren's lifetime? How can we possibly hope to reach that many for Jesus? See, what if we have a big church here every Sunday? What if, what if we had 10 big churches like that every Sunday? It won't make much dent on those kind of figures. That's why we don't just need to do addition, we wanna move into multiplication. Population growth hasn't slowed down, it's not been slowed down by plagues, by nuclear bombs, by economic collapses, by famines or natural disasters. The only thing that's made any kind of dent is the 50 million abortions every year that we're now seeing worldwide. There would be a billion more people alive but since 1970, that's how many abortions have, been, have happened. We're living, I think, in significant days, aren't we? I don't know if anybody else believes we're in the end times. But Jesus is going to return soon. Historian Rodney Stark asked this, how many Christians do you think there were in the year 100 AD? The answer was about, about 25,000. How many do you think there were by the time the Emperor Constantine made Christianity the acceptable state religion and effectively stopped its growth by sanctifying it and saying, politicizing it and saying this is now our religion? It got to 20 million in 250 years. From 25,000 to 20 million in 250 years. Why? In, even when there was intense persecution, even when they didn't have any money, even when they didn't have any buildings, even when they didn't have any leaders as such, because everybody was a leader, everybody was a disciple who was making disciples and that's why it grew. There's a museum in Chicago. They exhibited a chessboard with a single grain of rice on the first square, two on the second, four on the third, then eight, 16, 32, 64, on and on and on. 
In the middle of the board, there was enough rice, it was spilling over into neighboring squares and the display ended there. Could you put the lights up, because I need to do something in a minute. Above the demonstration was a question. At this rate of doubling every square, how much rice would you have on the board by the time you reached the 64th square? And you had to punch a button and then the answer flashed up. And this is what it said on the screen. There would be enough rice to cover the entire subcontinent of India 50 feet deep. 153 billion tons of rice, more than the world rice harvest for the next thousand years. That's the power of multiplication. Doubling, doubling and doubling. Multiplication happened in China when the cultural revolution, they kicked out all of the missionaries and they made it illegal to just some, be somebody who went to church. So the church had to be the church. Disciples had to be disciples and they made more disciples. When they closed it down, there were two million Christians. When they reopened it, there were 80 million Christians. Multiplication. It's unstoppable. This is what God wants us to be part of. How can I show the difference? I'm going to do it like this. Rather than 11 people, I need 10 people to please stand up. I'm not going to do anything freaky to you. Just ask you to stand up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Please stand up. Stop. In fact, you two sit down because you only need 10 for easy maths. Perfect. So Jesus started with 11. We're going to start with 10. I want you to imagine, it's not hard to do, that these people are absolutely brilliant. That they are the most incredible evangelists that the world has ever seen and that God is gifting them so that they can go, the 10 of you are going to be able to lead 100 people to faith every single day. How cool is that? Yeah? Pretty good. Kevin likes the idea. Okay? Some of you are not even sure it's a good idea. Humor me. Okay. Now, Ten, the 10 of you are going to lead 100 people to faith every single day from now on. Now, first of all, the problem with that is you're going to have to leave your jobs. But you're going to be pretty busy. You can't do your job too and do this. This is your job. And you're going to need to get money and you're going to need to get staff. You're going to get a really good Instagram feed. You're going to need all kinds of good, good stuff going to be able to promote the ministry and keep it all going. You're going to need some money. You're going to need lots of money. You're going to need big buildings for people to come into. So how many people in 10 years? Roscoe's good at maths. 36,500. That's how many you're going to get, yeah? Three, because it's, yeah. So, that's a big church, isn't it? In America, there are churches that have done that and they've grown to these kind of numbers. It's unbelievable. And if you get to be one of these kind of people, you're going to get to speak at all the conferences. You know, you get to wear a white suit. Somebody carries your Bible for you. Everywhere you go, there's going to be people sort of wanting to hear your secret of success and all that kind of stuff. That's what you're going to be able to do, yeah? Okay, so then in 30 years, 100 people a day, is nearly 1.1 million people. Can you imagine that? And adding over a million people who prayed the prayer in Manchester. But for you, listen, no days off. No coffee. No coffee shops, unless you're going to go and lead somebody to Jesus. And it's like 100 people. And if you go to bed tonight and there's only 88, you've got to get out there like these crazy academy people and go and give bottles of water out and pray for some more. Okay? That's the addition plan. Okay? In 30 years of the addition plan, you get to reach over a million people. That's fantastic. Please take a seat. And then I just want somebody to stand up on this side who doesn't think they're all, all that good at this. Joyce, thank you very much. So Joyce is not a super evangelist. She's more like the first 11 that, that Jesus gave the Great Commission to. Some worshipped, some doubted. You're going to do this differently. You say, you make a commitment today. I'm going to disciple like just one more. I'm going to reach one more person for Jesus. That's it. See, year one, how many do you get? That's two. Let's look at the, the figures on this. Year two. So year two you have 
Help me out with the maths. Four. We're good at this, okay? Year five, there are th 32, okay? Now, in five years, you've only got 32 people. You're not going to be speaking at Spring Harvest. <laughs> Sorry, Joyce. Nobody's going to come to the seminar that you do. It's just not going to happen, okay? Ten years. 1,024. Big. Quite big. You know, but to be honest, you could get 1,000 if you just invited Jay John to speak or something like that. You get 1,000 people who'd come to come and hear. And some of them might say, yeah, I'll give my life to Jesus. And that's all good. But this is not just a crowd. This is disciples who are making disciples. And so that's why it keeps on multiplying and keeps on multiplying. 15 years, 32,768 people. A million in 20 years. And in 34 years, you have to go to other planets to go and make disciples. See, what Jesus said works if we'll do what he said. It's not too late. It's not too late to change the world. And all it needs is some people who'll stand up and say, Jesus, help me to be one who reaches one, who helps them reach other people, who helps them reach other people so that more and more people get to find their way back to you. And I think that deserves a praising of God. So this is our radical minimal standard and I'm, I'm asking you whether or not you're going to commit to that and some people are already writing themselves off and thinking you know I couldn't even sure I could do that I don't know why God would choose me or why he'd use me to do anything and I imagine that qualifies you to be one of that crowd of 11 like Jesus first spoke to when he gave the great commission because it says some of them felt like that too but he still he didn't give them a job description he didn't give them a telling off he just said go and guess what I'll be with you when you do. So that's what I encourage you to consider in a moment, one at a time, whether or not you'll stand and actually say, Jesus, if you can use anybody, you can use me to reach my friends, to reach my family. Not to have to necessarily go door to door and wear a billboard that says repent, but just to go and share you with people and help me to do that and live more for you. And when I find people who want to know more about you, to learn with them and help them to learn so that they can then reach other people too. Is anybody up for that? Close your eyes for a moment just to pray. This is our radical minimal standard. Everybody reaches somebody. It's not just going to church. It's we're going to learn and we're going to reach and we're going to teach other people who learn and reach and teach. And when we do this, the maths will work and heaven gets fuller and fuller and hell is like the devil on his own with a few mates because the gates of hell will not prevail against a church like this. Can you do that? Even if you're scared. Be one who this year reaches one and then just keeps on doing that for the rest of your life. To say, Lord, if you'll help me to pour my life and share my life with somebody else, then I'm up for that. And if that's you, I invite you to put your hand on your heart and stand up and offer yourself back to him to do that. Lord, help me. I'm not an expert. Help me to learn to be a learner, a disciple. That's the qualification. Are you, are you willing to learn? And if you're willing to learn, he'll give you some things that you learn and then you'll be able to share it with somebody else and they'll become a learner too. And the whole world can be changed. And people who at the moment are lost and far from God, even if they don't know it, because the thing is when you're lost, you don't often know you're lost. But you could be part of helping people, more and more people to be found and find the love that that God has for them. I thank you for a whole group of people who are with all of our mistakes and mess ups and 
issues and stuff that we've not got sorted out are saying, Lord, you can, you can use me. And you just open your hands up in an expression of openness to him. Lord, I commit, I want to give everything that I've got for all that you have and for everybody that you want me to, to extend your love out to. I don't know everything, but I do know enough to say I can't do it on my own. But thank you that you've promised you will be with me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.